Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Why are you following me? The stuff you wear isn't appropriate for what you're planning on doing. You don't know anything about me. I'm ready. You're not. And none of the stuff that you're thinking means anything anyway. Never kissed anyone before. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. What we do every week on Still Watching, if you are unfamiliar, is we take some piece of television that is currently airing that Richard and I are interested in. We watch an episode a week and we talk about it. That's what we do. We are who we are. That's what we're watching. And that's who we are. So uh, here we are. This is episode two of our coverage of the HBO miniseries, We Are Who We Are, um, brought to you by uh, the great Luca Guadagnino, among other people. And um, we are here to talk about episode two. We will not be spoiling anything beyond episode two. uh, You know, I haven't watched beyond episode two, so that's uh, th- that's a good guarantee I won't be discussing beyond the episode itself. Um, I, I forgot to mention this uh, last week, uh, you know, returning from hiatus, we have an email, uh, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. I completely forgot to mention it. But if you are watching along with us, and you have questions or comments or concerns, uh, we would love to hear from you. Stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, some of our greatest insights have come from our emails. And I would be particularly interested to know if anyone like either currently in the military or has served in the military is watching the show and sort of what they think of this depiction of military life or, or military adjacent life um, in the show. Or if, if any of you are Chloe Sevigny. Uh, I'd love to hear from you too. Yes. If if you're Chloe Sevigny, I would really appreciate an email. I've been waiting, Chloe, and now's your time. Uh, so we're here to talk about um, episode two, which is titled Right Here, Right Now, number two. Uh, each episode of the season is uh, titled Right Here, Right Now with a number associated with it. Um, if our entry into this world 
of American families on an Italian military base um, came through the character of Frazier, played by Jack Dylan Grazier. Uh, this week, this week's episode serves as sort of a companion piece, a, um, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, what happened on the other side uh, narration uh, through the eyes of um, Caitlin slash Harper, uh, whatever we want to call them, uh, played by Jordan Christine uh, Simon. I think is uh, the last name. Uh, I was I was poking around uh, Jordan's website, and they go by JK on their website. So that's just um, I don't know. Uh, I might wind up calling them JK if that's if that's uh, they 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 make uh, music. Really interesting. Uh, young every every young person on a show now has like nine other side hustles going on, and I'm like, all right, guys, you could just. Uh, but yeah, they're they're the good JK right now. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> the, the one we want to follow. We also um, meet um, Harper's family. We've got um, Danny, uh, the older brother, uh, Richard, the father. And Jenny, who we already met uh, significantly last week, uh, the mother. So that's Faith Alabi as Jenny, Scott Mascudi as Richard, and Spence Moore the second as Danny. Um, and I really liked this episode a lot. And it actually, like all all my like, or a lot of my tension around the character of Fraser dissolved. Um, significantly with his peripheral actions uh in this episode how how did like before we get into um this other family how did um how did fraser sit for you this week yeah i mean i think that that there there might have been some worry <clears throat> for me included uh about the first episode that it was going to be yet another thing where this kind of, you know, magical, weird character enters this very stifled world and, you know, uh, changes everyone's minds about who they are and, you know, like kind of a, a Pleasantville riff or something like that. <laughs> right. um, because, you know, this is a very ordered place. It's a military base. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, you know, there is the wildness of Italy surrounding the base, but... Um, but I think what this episode kind of subverts in that sense is that, like, no, there's a ton of interesting, you know, divergent... Um, idiosyncratic things that were happening before he arrived. And so he's, he's entering into a busy world rather than kind of creating that busyness. Right. Um, which I think is, is a delicate way to handle these kind of narratives because so often, um, it's one bright character sort of enlivening all the drab people around them. And that this, that's not the case here, obviously. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that, in that way. Um, but yeah, I think it, it feels like, and the way these episodes are positioned as sort of, you know, a companion pieces, it really does feel like two interesting, curious, unsettled kids, um, and who settled, uh, at this age, um, f- finding each other. And, and that's, um, uh, that's something I want to keep watching. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think there's something particularly, uh, persuasive about the way that the show is starting to draw these connections between people who are grappling with identity in some form or another, be it a uh, gender, gender expression, sexuality, what, you know, whatever the, whatever that they're kind of, um, contending with as young people with the fact that they are live itinerant lives. Yeah. And this kind of notion of like, how do you ground yourself? How do you find yourself when everything surrounding you shifts every couple of years and is sort of always in doubt? Um, I think that's, it's a really interesting kind of terrarium, uh, to set the show in, um, because it's so impermanent. 
And yet the, the things these people are realizing about themselves may eventually become a sort of permanent piece of identity, um, despite their surroundings. Yeah, not just itinerant, but like um, itinerant and also set, as you mentioned already, on the backdrop of something so regimented. You know what I mean? Like this idea of like trying to figure out your identity on a, a military base where the idea of individuality is, uh, you know, frowned upon. You know what I mean? Like, we'll get to the MAGA hats uh, a bit more, but like, even this idea of like, okay, well, we can't wear these outside because that's an expression of our, you know, political belief, but we can wear them around the house. You know what I mean? So you like can't, you can't be an individual out and about on the base. Um, you have to like go to the fringes of town or, you know, something like that in order to be able to do that. So, um, and, and something that I think is interesting, I mean, like, sure, why not? Let's talk about the politics. Cause like I, I was a little bit, I was warned, warned is the wrong word, but I was, uh, Tipped I, off? I, uh, tipped off, sure. <laughs> um, to the fact that, that Trump was sort of going to be percolating the background of this uh, story by our colleague Sonia Soraya, who, um, reviewed the show for our, uh, for VF.com. Um, and so the, the fact that this, this, uh, series takes place during the 2016 election, apparently we're going to get some like Clinton stuff too. Um, you know, is, despite the fact that I was tipped off, I still, my like, <laughs> My jaw dropped and my shoulders hunched, like, when the Trump um, ad starts playing. And what's interesting is, like, we see that ad, um, you know, uh, Harper's there with her father. And, like, we see the ad. And they sit up and pay attention and, like, turn around and watch it. But we're unclear at that point what their feelings are around um, Trump. It's only later we see the MAGA hats. And so... um uh, you know, and I've also been tipped off with the fact that this isn't like a super overtly political show, um, but that, you know, the realities of American politics are going to be simmering in the background of of this uh, human drama. Yeah. And the strangeness of being in a foreign country, even though they keep saying the base is America, but being so governed by this thing happening thousands of miles away in a literal sense, because this is the U.S. military running this this base. Um, and, 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 you know, com- commanding where these people and their families go at any given year. Right. Um, so there's that obvious connection, but there's also just the, the, the sort of the larger sense of just how America looms over the world. And, um, to be dealing with all of your own private, you know, excitements and turmoils and all that stuff, while also the world seems to be tilting towards something, um, very different, let's say. I mean, I don't know who uh, some people would find it frightening on the show. So others not. Obviously, Scott, you know, the father, Scott Mascuti's character doesn't. Um, but I do like the the bit with the hats yeah. where it just doesn't fit on Harper's head. Right. <laughs> like, right. that's such a nice little, I mean, obvious, maybe visual metaphor for like, I don't know if Harper is really going to go that route, even <laughs> though their father is clearly all in. Right. Especially when Harper's wearing like a different ball cap later. So it's like you can, a ball cap yeah. could, could work if, if we really tried. Um, yeah. And it, I, what they're setting up, I think is, is interesting in terms of like the personal wages of, um, you know, the, the Trump rise, because, um, if we look at this family, like, you know, we, we, we start with Harper and their dad on this, like, early morning, this special thing they share. They have all these special things that they share. Their relationship seems really lovely, really close. Um, but if you think about, like, 
Harper's questions around their their gender identity or, or their sexuality, whatever it may be, m- might be unfriendly to a MAGA father. The fact that Danny, the brother, seems to, from the context clues uh, that I could glean in this episode, seems to maybe be thinking about Islam as like a religion that he mm-hmm. might be interested in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got a mother longing for like Chicago, a black mother longing for Chicago. You know what I mean? Um, a non-American born mother longing for Chicago, which just like, you know, inspires Obama to me, you know, I'm sure there are Trump supporters who live in Chicago. So like, it just seems like it, you know, if, if this father goes all in on Trump, it, it really, th- you know, I, I think it's no coincidence that the the ad that plays is about the like Muslim ban, you know, and how that might directly impact any kind of relationship he might have with his son. And so, um, you know, just just thinking about like how is this this man's support of Trump going to f- potentially fracture his relationships with everyone in his family, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I think it further emboldens the interesting nature of this project in that, um, there's a term of art that a lot of kids who grow up abroad and traveling around a lot use. It's something generation kids, I forget. Um, but, um, that they're seeing a bit more or a lot more of the world than your typical American kid is. Uh, and yet they're so, they're still tied to America and, uh, trying to form a, a sort of sense of relationship to that country, despite not having any real geographical allegiance to it. Um, and I think that, I don't know, it some ways reflects the way that a lot of younger generations within the borders of the United States feel about their country, which is like, I live here and I'm part of it. Yeah. But like nothing about it, at least in terms of who wields the levers of power and how they wield them reflects my own experience that I live, you know, with my friends or online at school. And um, so I feel like this is just a really heightened way of getting at a lot of feelings of displacement and just generational alienation um, that I think a lot of young people are experiencing now. For better and worse, you know, I mean, I think that for the, in the better sense, like you see so much like activism coming out of younger generations, such a new awareness and a better awareness of, of social justice issues and all those things. Um, but also in the day to day of your life, that can probably feel really chafing and kind of lonely, um, to not really be able to look up generationally and, and see much that you can either recognize or aspire to. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting turn on a on a trope that we might be really familiar with, which is like a rebellious army brat who like doesn't get along with their conservative father, and it's like no, that's not what we're being served here. It's like this is this is a a young teen who's very 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 close to their father, and yeah. I just feel like I see like disaster looming on the horizon, um, and, and close to him in a way that would seem to connect to Harper's experimentation with like gender presentation and stuff like that. You know, these kind of secretive morning missions that I, I, I what were they doing? Selling gasoline. It was gasoline. Like? Okay. Yeah. Um, which is probably not above board in terms of right. uh, the dad's position sure. in the yeah. military. Um, but like, there is this kind of, um, you know, stereotypically male ritual about it. Like right. the father waking his son up and they go hunting, you know, at the crack of dawn or whatever and watching Harper like eagerly participate in that. And then later in the episode, 
being brought further into that connected fold with the MAGA hats and maybe a little bit finding the limits of their allegiance to their dad's whole worldview, you know? Right. And the fact that he got two hats, you know, and so not one for the brother, not not certainly not one for mom, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's very, you're very clearly watching like a, this is, you know, and this happens in families, like this is the child I connect with. And you're right that like, usually we're used to seeing like, that's the father and son, but like Danny, who has a lot of, uh, a lot of things going on with Danny, uh, in this episode, like, uh, it, you know, does not seem to connect with his father in any way. Um, and, you know, and, and so what's looped into that, um, as part of, you know, Harper's questions around uh, gender and their own body is, you know, is this moment when they get their period, which to me uh, brought me up short because I I think I thought we were dealing with older teens, um, but I think they're supposed to be like 14. Um, they're like f- freshmen. Yeah. 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 I, for some reason, I thought they were like sophomores or juniors, but... Um, well, I think they're played by older kids. Right, right, right. <laughs> which doesn't help. Yeah. It's like, but I felt like my naivete like sort of hit me because I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but uh, the... You know, there's 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 a lot that happens around this, like the arrival of Harper's period, but this conversation with uh, Scott Muscuti's character where he's like, uh, it's natural, it's the hormones, it's natural, you know, and he's like, this is what a female, you know, and it's so like on the surface, it's just inc- an incredibly like supportive, nice thing for a dad to say, you know, to his daughter, like, you know, it's natural, it's fine. Um, this kid doesn't feel like they can talk to their mom about it. So they come to their dad and he like gives a, he's not like, uh, talk to your mom about it. He's like, it's natural. It's fine. It's great. It's fine. But like, we as the audience know that like, this may not feel natural for this kid. Right. Um, this expression of like, you know, um, female biology. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's just, it, it sits on top of what, what, should feel like a really nice um, father-child conversation, you know? Yeah, and, and I think that there is some excitement about, like, Harper kind of reaching this, um, you know, rite of passage of a sense uh, in the way that they talk to a friend, you know, um, I forget the character's name, Scorsese's daughter. <laughs> right. Uh, um, about it, you know, and there's kind of like, a, oh, like, welcome or whatever, congratulations. And so, like, and that makes sense because it would be, probably a complicated reaction you know it wouldn't just be one thing or another and um and you know and and i think that that kind of speaks to my initial sort of wariness about the structure of the episode which is to go back in time and to see these first days of um fraser's being on the base but through this very different perspective in which fraser is only limitedly included um and I was like, well, we're, okay, we're, so we're kind of repeating a lot of mundane stuff, kids just having quiet conversations on the beach or wandering around looking at things. Right. But I think that what it ultimately does is show that, like, from 20 feet away, a person on the beach with their friends might just be seem like totally settled and contented and in their place. And yet zoom in a little bit, walk up to them that 20 feet and oh there's a whole riot of things going on in their life and um we don't really know what we see in terms of like a charged glance across a beach um so i think that even though the stuff we're reliving is a little bit prosaic it's still it, i mean it means quite a bit to to harper 
Right. And that's something that I, it, it, it endears Fraser to me more. Um, this idea of seeing, really seeing someone, uh, even from afar, like that, that he sees what's going on here. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh Francesca Scorsese's <laughs> character's name is Brittany. Um, uh, I, I think, I think we talked about this off air. We were going to talk about it on air, but like, do you want to run down all the like, uh, people who are related to people who are on, uh, on the show. <laughs> well, we've got our lead who is, uh, well, the lead in the first episode anyway, who's Brian Grazer, this mega producer partner of Ron Howard, uh, his nephew. Uh, we've got Francesca Scorsese, uh, and Alice Braga, who plays one of the two mothers, uh, of Fraser, uh, is the great Brazilian legend, Sonia Braga's niece. Um, so we have, there's a lot of, uh, there's some legacy going on here. Legacy. I don't want to call it nepotism, but you know, it's <laughs> yeah. something adjacent to that maybe. Um, but I think the interesting thing about that is in a weird way, this is, I'm uh, not in a weird way, in a, in a plain way, this is a show about some kids dealing with the, the, the very, per, you know, potent and pertinent legacy of their parents. Their, their parents are in the military and there's all of this kind of attendant, reverence and rigidity uh, you know associated with that uh and these are kids just you know who have been dragged along by their parents lives or their families lives uh and their legacies uh and are now just trying to like scratch out some kind of individual existence for themselves and so maybe some of these kids you know only one is a direct descendant of a famous person but uh maybe they can relate to that in some way yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's, it is kind of wild. I, I like completely missed, um, that Brittany is played by Francesca Scorsese until you mentioned it to me last week. And, uh, and then just like watching her this week. And I was like, I, I could, I can barely see it. I barely see it. Um, well, she's so blonde. It's just yeah. like, it's not, it doesn't track with the Scorsese image, you know, in your head. It's true. I'm like, where's her, where are her heavy rimmed glasses? I really need those to help me out here. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. Anyway, uh, I wanted to talk to you about something we talked about last week was this idea of like how immersive uh, Luca Guadagnino properties feel um, sensually. And I, by that, I mean like the senses um, in addition to like sexual, whatever uh, immersive and, and something that really caught my notice even more in this episode than it did in the first episode is the sound design and the way that the sound, um, you know, and obviously that's not purely like uh, on Luca and I have, I have some names I can shout out uh, just one second if I call them up, but um, that it's, um, 
you know, the, the, you know, the trick of putting you in someone's headphones isn't like exactly novel and new to this, but you know, um, it's not just the headphones and like what's coming out of them. It's also like the other music, uh, in this episode. So, um, Robin Erdang is the name of the music supervisor and Devonte Hines, uh, is doing the original music. And I think this episode starts with, um, an original piece of music that is, is like kind of avant-garde and it really just sort of put me inside this whole world, uh, really quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was wondering if, 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 if like the sound of the music had, had hit you in that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really digging. I don't know if it's Devante Hines writing these or if these are extant pieces of work that, you know, predate the show, but like these lilting kind of piano things that are reminiscent of the opening credits of Call Me By Your Name mm, yeah. that, that give the scenes like, you know, I'm thinking of Harper on the bus, you know, just kind of part of their long day, um, kind of having a little moment to think looking out the window of the bus. Um, and, uh, the way that that music is melancholy and hopeful and playful and, you know, but a little sad and propulsive, but also kind of has a little uh, kind of elegiac rhythm to it. Like it's, it's so perfectly, maybe from an adult perspective, maybe you don't feel this way when you're actually living it as a kid, but like from my perspective, it so perfectly captures like that mix of, I don't know, melancholy and excitement about that age. Like it's weird to be getting older. It's exciting to be getting older. You don't really know where you fit, but, um, so I, I, and then all the stuff with the headphones on headphones off. Like I think it's clear that Guadagnino has an idea that I think is probably pretty accurate that kids, especially now, um, are, are living this kind of bifurcated or double lives. One that's sort of the interiority of the things they're listening to, the things they're looking at their phone. And then the rest is the outside world. Oh, well, I guess three, if you count what's in their head. Um, and, uh, and I think to kind of literalize that that way uh, is, is really interesting and um, smart. And uh, I think gives a kind of another layer of consciousness to um, this show, which is already sort of speaking in these sort of mysteriously wispy tones. Something that I found interesting, and and I'd have to go back and rewatch to make sure it's correct, but I feel like uh, Frasier has, like, is in his headphones, that's not a real phrase, it's just something I've decided to say, but like, you know, like, in in the world of of the immersive music, most of all when he's outside the house, when he's wandering around. And Harper, I think, mostly has it inside uh, their house. Um, Like, I was noticing when Harper takes like a long bus ride, um, they don't have music on. They're like, there's a score and then they're sort of like listening to the outside world. I don't know if that's intentional or if I just made it up, but um, I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, You know, and this idea of like Frazier and Harper both being people who are, maybe marching to a slightly different beat uh, than, than other folks, but Harper being able at this point to pass into like a circle of friends um, to be dating. I, it appears to me to be like multiple boys um, and um, you know, and then, and then Fraser just like looking, like being on the, <laughs> looking out uh, the window uh, to paraphrase a musical that both of us don't like, um, you know, <laughs> just sort of like observing from afar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, 
And, uh, you know, and I think the other thing about it is that when I was presented, when, when the idea of a Luca Guadagnino series was presented to me, I was like, that's a lot of hours to spend in his, like, you know, <laughs> oral and visual assaults. Like, yeah. his, you know, from every, you know, all of his films have this kind of really towering kind of aesthetic, uh, wall coming at you. Um, but he, he reigns in, you know, when, when necessary. Um, but then we'll kind of splash us into this kind of big music cue that really works. Um, and I don't know. I mean, this show, it's, you know, it's a hard show for our podcast because like it doesn't have a ton of narrative shape to it. Um, but as a kind of different experience of watching a series as we head into the fall where there's going to be more, you know, traditionally linear shows, um, I'm finding it a nice sort of, I don't know, antechamber. We're in a nice kind of like warm bath before we plunge in fully. Um, and I think, and that's probably the, partly the intended effect. Yeah, Ben Travers uh, over at IndieWire has this great notion in his review about it being like the perfect end of summer, sort of, you know, it, we're, we're pretty much in fall, but like this does feel like a dog days of summer kind of show. Um, and also, I mean, he, he said something kind of poetic about, you know, the end of America summer, you know what I mean? If you think about like the Trump administration looming. And, um, I thought that was interesting. Um, but uh, I, I did want to one thing. Yeah. So, so I went around and like read everyone's reviews cause I was, I was just interested to hear like what our friends and colleagues thought of the show. And the point that came up over and over again um, was this idea that like this show is doing a similar thing to Euphoria, which is something you and I talked about a bit last week, but without something that was mentioned over and over again was like, but without the like really scary parent alienating, like, edge that euphoria had and like i know like i you know i was at the i think that it was the premiere of euphoria at um the austin television festival um last year and uh yeah that was last year time what a weird thing um and you know there were parents there in the audience who got up in the mic and were like concerned and stressed out by what they had seen um but I feel like that narrative kind of went away or am I being naive? Like, is that, is that the lingering take on euphoria that it was like, scare the parents, like sort of show? What what do you think? I don't know. I mean, I, I came to euphoria late, um, sort of during quarantine, well after the buzz had kind of blown through. Mm -hmm. Um, to me, that show feels like, uh, a distillation or a sort of example for both the generation it's about and generations that are parenting that generation about like what's going on in that world and whether it's kind of cautionary or celebratory or both or, or not. I, I think that what works so well about euphoria is that it's not wagging its finger in any direction, really, you know, um, maybe at certain characters. Sure. But, um, and with this show in the way that it relates to that, like it, it's challenging in a different way. I think it's challenging in, in the first episode where Fraser's kind of like this doing some strange things that are hard to sort of reconcile. And, um, and in this episode, it refuses to, we were talking about it last week. Like it refuses to do the thing with, that comes so knee jerk and badly for me, which is like label, label, label. Right. It, who is this show about it? What, you know, is how does Harper identify? Like what, what are their, you know, what's their trajectory on this show? Um, and then what I think that Guadagnino is doing with not just the way that the characters are written, um, but also with, and he's, you know, has co-writers, but, um, 
but with the, the the music and the direction is 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 kind of giving body to that fluidity um and i think in some way if you can drag a sort of reluctant parent in front of the sofa to watch a show like this they might see in contrast to euphoria a, a gentler approach to um the sort of vagaries of like you know gen- younger than gen z um yeah. Which is like, you know, has, so I, sh- I think the show could have an instructive value, um, but it's just less, like, I don't know, overt about its, you know, this is the youth themes than the Euphoria is. It's interesting. Like, I'm not, I mean, I guess I technically am old enough to have like a teen kid, but I don't feel like, I don't, like, if I started really young, I, I could have a teen right now. Um, but like, I don't feel like of the generation that are parents to the teenagers now, but I am obviously like well removed from teenagedom. And I, I thought Euphoria just presented so much opportunity for empathy for like the really stressful world these kids live in. Um, and, um, I mean, maybe if I were an actual parent, I would be too stressed to be able to access that empathy. Anyway, I just didn't, I, I like, I was sort of like pushing back on the, I don't know, categorization of euphoria as this like shock the parents. I was like, yeah, I don't no. think that's what they were going for at all. Well, well I, I think the shock the parents thing is, is, is like so reductive. Cause it's like, Oh, but can, can something not be about parent like you, you know, like, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, sure. You can watch it and you can react to it, but like it, that's a show that HBO is expressly pitching toward the audience. It's made about, you know, um, Whereas I feel like We Are Who We Are does slightly have that sort of dreamier haze of nostalgia to it. Yeah. Um, it's not as immediate and pertinent in, in some ways. Um, so I'll be curious to see, like, I, I mean, because I feel like We Are Who We Are is setting up certain tensions, obviously between Harper and their father, but also I think between uh, the father and Chloe Sevigny's character, because there seemed to be some barely expressed resentment during the swearing in ceremony in the first episode. And it was like, maybe they were passed over or something like that. So I, I don't know if that's good. If, I mean, I don't think they're setting up like a, you know, Capulet Montague thing here, but um, I feel like that the kind of dyna- the pa- the power dynamic of the base presumably will have to come to bear on the kids. Right. Because that's part of the reason it's set there. I would think. Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, in, in a much, like, more harmless way, um, Harper referred to Fraser's family as, like, the aliens, the aliens landed sort of thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, these are, they're outsiders in a way that stretches beyond just being new on base. And I think, I think that has to do with, like, you know, two women being at the head of this family. Um, and we will see how that unfolds or just a woman being in charge, uh, in yeah. general. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, I, I like the, 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 the brief moment when, um, Jenny, the mom yeah. is sitting on the couch watching the Chicago weather, which <laughs> I wonder also given the, now we know the time frame of the series, it's like 2016. Um, if uh, if the Chicago thing has to do with Obama, partly, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay, um, 
some Obama but anyway, nostalgia sort of. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. But I like it because it is twenty. It's the first Trump election, right? Like yes. That's the, okay. I thought um, it was like because because of the Muslim ban thing. I thought it was like we he's already been elected, but I read some reviews that said like this is we'll get we'll get a clearer indication that this is like during the campaign, right? Basically. Right, like the fall of twenty sixteen, right? Um, the fall in, in that's a uh-huh. man, many meaning. Um, many but yeah. but anyway, Jenny is sitting on the couch and 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 she says hi to who she calls Kate, yeah, uh, and is like, oh, I met the new commander, blah blah blah, and then there's a slight pause, and she says, and her wife. Like in, and she says it cheerily, like she's not, you know, um, and even her reaction to the couple in the first episode, like she's obviously like, you know, pres- you know, ha- is trying in good faith and being welcoming and whatever. But, um, that tension of the fact that like the commander is a lesbian and has her wife on base, like I feel like, a- and the way that the people around the base, um, react to that would also, have to come to inform the way that Harper and Fraser like process their own shit, you know, like, um, and so I think that they're, they're setting up a sort of delicate, um, parallel in some ways, um, which is interesting. The other thing I want to ask you about to circle back to the like, um, question of how immersive is this story is, you know, we had a lot of discussion about, Fraser and the camera and like maybe maybe trying too hard to define you know me as like a square uh elder millennial slash gen x or trying to like define his sexuality by where the camera was lingering <laughs> and trying to understand it and then us sort of concluding that like maybe not boxing him is sort of the point um but like i what i thought was interesting is i didn't feel like i uh, like the camera did the same thing with the harper pov like i don't feel like i got like a lingering appreciation of female or male bodies and and to me that speaks to like um adjusted discomfort uh yeah i don't know that's my interpretation of it so yeah no and even the way that like bodies are spoken about to harper and and uh, like like the whole thing like did you touch it did you feel it at least like like and then and then you know um they're kind of hooking up with that boy at school and there's that kind of forced intimacy that because maybe that's like what they think should be happening you know um so there's a there's a tentativeness yeah that would that would seem to speak to something going on internally um that's different from what's going on with fraser i feel like we also maybe forgot to mention in the first episode or and about the first episode is this friend mark that fraser has been sort of sending missives to right did we talk about that and he says i love and he says i love you at the end of these messages right very it's very felicity with the you know (laughs) what was the friend's name alice uh no i'll i'll remember it hold on yeah um but so that's that's an interesting sally Sally, thank you i knew it was a alley sound um that sets up an interesting thing of like you know, again, kind of speaking to like how, you know, old, crusty and rigid I am. It's like, <laughs> well, maybe it's, it, maybe he partly already has things figured out and maybe Harper does too. And we're just sort of like catching up. Um, who knows? Uh, you know, my, my, my guess, given the way that like call me by your name was so sort of ambiguous about its sexuality is that this show will probably not present us with any neatly ascribed thing by the end um 
but I do get more of the sense that we are coming in very much in Medias race of these characters' journeys, right. um, not at the beginning of them. Absolutely. Um, like, it doesn't feel like that was the very, very, very first time Harper went out, like, in her dad's, no, no. uh, in their dad's shirt or whatever. But, like, but there was opportunity, like, in that cafe, uh, when Fraser is, like, getting his beer, not red wine in the background. Um, there was opportunity for, like, the camera to sort of, like, linger on these girls who were, like, f- you know, flirting. Uh, and it didn't. And I just thought that yeah. was interesting, you know, given, yeah. given the way the camera moved in the first episode. So that was just something I, I thought. I also liked in, in that scene, which I don't think we saw it in the first episode. Harper's left and Fraser's sitting there and the, the, the counter lady is out from behind the counter and she's like, Hey, Blondie, do you want another beer? And he looks kind of surprised and it's like, yeah, you're in Italy. They'll, they'll give you another beer. <laughs> but also I think he just doesn't speak Italian. So he's just like, what <laughs> are you offering me? <laughs> he's just like so lost. Um, meanwhile, Harper is dropping like multiple languages and that's just, that's just another thing. The other thing about the camera is like something I didn't pick up on, but I probably should have in the first couple episodes is this idea that like Fraser, is like, um, if not like a fashion design, I mean, like I, I could tell by his clothing that of course he's like interested in fashion, but I think there might be like further, uh, storyline around like, uh, that he's like some kind of des- amateur designer or something like that, that that's, that's an interest of his, a passion of his. And, 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 you know, you can connect that to the clothing that, uh, he leaves for Harper. Right. Um, but in that way, it might also make sense for the camera when it's in his POV to be lingering almost equally on male and female bodies because like he's not just sexually interested in them. He's also like, fashion and bodies and like how that works together. That's of interest to me, which is something right. that hadn't occurred to me. Um, but. um, the term that I was looking for earlier is third culture kid. Oh, okay. Um, which the third refers to like their birth cult, their parents' birth culture and their adopted culture where they live that kind of melds into a third thing. Um, which you clearly see happening on this show. Right. You know, I think it, and I think the way that, um, uh, you know, what Italy presents, it's kind of looseness, it's sensuality, but also it's restrictions. I mean, this is still a very Catholic country, blah, blah, blah. Like it still has very, you know, there are parts of Italy that have pretty rigid gender roles, you know? Um, so I don't, know, I think that'll, it'll be interesting to see like how much of the Italianness seeps into everything as well as the, you know, as much as the military stuff does. So, What's interesting to me, and and and, and if this might not become, we not we might not be able to solve this based on the two episodes we've seen. But like, so uh, Harper is dating Sam like most overtly. Right. Sam's the one that they hooked up with on the beach, uh, made out with at school, blah blah. But then there's also this character of Craig, who uh, is Sam's older brother. Uh, though I don't know how like crystal clear that was um, in the episode. Um, but he's the one who keeps like kissing Harper on the face, yeah, like m- slightly more paternally, but still like more than I would want, you know, my brother kissing my, uh, you know, partner. Um, so I don't really know what's going on there. Do you have any like insight that I missed? I don't, but I think it, 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 it does mirror in some ways this little jolt of attraction. It would seem that Fraser had toward the naked soldier he saw in the shower. Mm where there obviously is this like probably pretty firm line about people on the base, not 
you know, canoodling with the children of other soldiers. <laughs> right. Especially commanding officers, right. uh, especially when those children are 14 or 15 years old. Right. Um, especially, especially, especially. Um, but like, obviously, if you have like 19 year old soldiers and like 15 year old kids, like there's, I mean, or 16 year old, whatever, there's going to be, that's going to be a dynamic uh, on base, obviously, you know? Right. Um, and I think it would be weird if the show didn't kind of gesture toward that. I don't really know what's going on between Harper and the soldier in that scene. Um, it kind of caught me off. I was like, Oh, I don't really know what's happening here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I think, all, I mean, maybe it was just meant to be that like Harper's searching for something that feels right, you know? Right. And, uh, hasn't found it. And, uh, is, is, you know, like a lot of kids do is just like kind of knocking on a lot of doors at once, um, and seeing which ones open. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I like. I think you know, in in a more traditional TV narrative way, the show is setting up some romantic entanglements and you know whatever, and and that you know it'll be fun to watch those kind of sort themselves out. Um, and I don't know. I mean, do you feel like after two episodes, and it's it's hard to say because we're now back to kind of the present uh, that the first episode ended at. <laughs> right. Um, do you feel like this show is setting up Harper and? Frasier to have a romantic relationship or do you think it's just going to be that they have a deep sense of understanding each other uh as like fellow travelers i guess the latter um yeah yeah i think i think platonic is what it's aiming for but we'll see um you know what i mean um yeah what do you think no i mean i i hope it's the latter i think i would be interested in the former obviously because it would it would would reflect a, a you know a very like um you know, it's, it would be a non-traditional relationship, I guess. Um, but I, I kind of, I'm more attracted to this, a story of, um, kids helping each other without that kind of added incentive or whatever. Um, and, 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 and sort of bouncing off of each other and maybe, you know, who knows, getting in fights or, or whatever, but like both kind of coming up together in a way. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I would, I would love that. Like, Empathy and support and connection. <laughs> what, what a well, concept. Doesn't, yeah, doesn't that sound nice? <laughs> well, when, of course, all of that is about to leave the world in about a, a few weeks after uh, this show takes place. Uh, right. Um, so the uh, the other thing I wanted to mention in terms of, like, sound design uh, is this moment where Harper is reading, I think, poetry, but reading uh, sort of just, like, sitting tucked in a corner of a street somewhere and overhearing uh Basically, these soldiers talk about uh, gang raping uh, a woman uh, was my interpretation of what I heard. Um, you know, she's not like focusing too much on it. She seems to be like intently trying to focus on the book. But that's just like, I just think that's a really interesting thing to put in the back. You know, we... we um Someone, someone, I, one of, one of my, one of our listeners, uh, I saw them express some trepidation around, like, I'm not sure how interested I am in a show that's set in a military base. And I was like, well, what I can promise you is Luca Guadagnino is not like, yay, US military. So, like, in the first episode, we get this moment in the, like, sort of flag ceremony or whatever it was, where the outgoing commanding officer was like, good luck, been a lot of rape, uh, sexual assault and suicide on the base here. Uh, have fun with that. And, uh, and then here, yeah, we hear them talk about like, 
you know, this Italian woman saying no, three men going at her at once. Um, and then he says, I heard the line, you know, you, sorry, excuse the slur that I'm about to say, like, all these wops are whores, uh, meaning all these Italian women, like, really want it or something like that. So, like, and that's just, that's all part of the, like, stew that these kids are growing up in. You know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. that's just, like, casual conversation in the background of like Harper doing their homework, basically. Um, and I just thought that that was interesting because like it, it's pretty, um, it could, it could have been much more ham fistedly done, but I like the way that it's so background, um, because it just, it, it, in a chilling way normalizes it, I guess. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't want to put, I don't want to overgeneralize, but obviously there is stuff on military bases that's terrible, and it's a, it's one of the most pervasive problems in the military, um, and that would be palpably felt on any base. Right. At the same time, would would a kid, especially who's not in the military, be feeling and absorbing that every second of the day and not caught up in their own, you know? And I mean, they don't mean this in a pejorative way, self-involvement. And there's, you know, like, right, I, right. I think it would lap at the edges and then maybe insist itself in at times. But I don't think it would be like the only kind of reality of, of the life there. Um, I, compl- I completely agree. Yeah. Um, and that was beautifully said, lap at the edges and insist its way in. Um, but like that, um, that's what I mean. It's not, it's not like, it's, well, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like I'm using intentional language here, but like, it's not a constant assault. It's just sort of like what's like, it's just vapor. You know what I mean? But like growing up in like a poisonous vapor is still going to poison you. You know what I mean? So, right. Well, yeah, exactly. I don't mean to imply. Yeah. I mean, obviously like something that bad is going to affect everything. Right. Um, and I think that the show, I don't think it's evasive for the show to introduce it subtly. Yeah. I, um, I think it, I, I guess maybe that's really what I was saying is that it's more realistic that this would be sort of an absorbed thing through osmosis and right. overheard things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, but it could come to, you know, it could become a much bigger part of the series. We don't know. I mean, that's, you know, one of the interesting things about you and I not watching ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for once. Um, all right. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of, uh, this episode? Um, what did what did you make of the gift of the shirt and the pants? Um, I don't know. Like for me, so like you know, Fraser seems to be saying like, you know, if you want to pass, your clothes are wrong for that. Um, and then he sent over what looked to be like his clothing, and the shirt is like a little bit more fitted. And the pants are, are boycott pants. Um, and, uh, and I just took the act of Harper putting them on and him seeing them on as like a, I see you. I want to help you in whatever this is. I would like to help and support you. And Harper like accepting that help and support. That that was my interpretation. What do you, what do you feel? Yeah, and I think it 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 lends more uh, likelihood to our imagining that this is a show about that kind of mutual support and whatever. And um, they uh, Harper sees uh, Fraser watching from the window, 
and yet there isn't something, there's nothing creepy about it. It, it seems supportive. It seems, you know, it's a form of communication. Um, yeah. and, um, and that Harper so readily is like, yeah, I'm going to put the outfit on. Like, I, I thought that they were going to like toss, be like, oh, weird and toss it out. And like, it would right, sit right. there kind of as this thing, but no, it's the opposite. So, um, it's like a nice, um, not peace offering because there's not no discord between them, but a, some sort of offering. And I, I like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Just like an, I see you. And then like, I accept that you see me and you're right. Sort of thing. You're right about what you think you see here. Right. But um, we're not going to say any more about it. We're not going to be like, you know, I'm not going to, you know, open the window and be like, Hey, you know, it's more right. just a quiet sort of acknowledgement. Yeah. But it helps inform the end of last week's episode, which I believe ended with Fraser being like, so what do I call you? Right. right. Yeah. And that's just much more loaded this time, like knowing that they've had this exchange probably before they had that conversation um, of, wh- of what do I call you sort of, you know, informs. Um, and then Harper was like, call me by my name. Right. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then Suspiria. Anyway. Okay. So, um, uh, so do we do it? Episode two? Uh, yeah, I think I think we've all said right. all we can say. We did it. Okay, so um, it, once again, uh, you can email us, uh, email us, stillwatchingpod at gmail dot com if you have any uh, questions uh, or observations about the episodes. Um, Richard, where else can folks find you? Uh, on vf dot com and Twitter at Rylaws, and um, I do sell gasoline uh, on one of the canals in Venice, but I'm kind of <laughs> hard to find. So just ask a friend. Uh, where will you be until next week, Joanna? Um, well, you find me at vanityfair.com. You follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You will absolutely not find me midnight ziplining, daytime ziplining, <laughs> any time of the week ziplining. No, that's not for me. So, uh, yeah, and we will see you all next week. Ciao. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitch. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah. that. We support that. Very <laughs> <laughs> <Right> nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Chill being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.